Keyboard Kimura AV Network is presented by OneBone. Fall is here, and OneBone has you covered when it comes to looking fresh as the temperatures start to cool. From numerous short sleeve styles and cuts, to long sleeve selections, hoodie options, the Essential Bomber, and the Trench Hoodie, OneBone has styles, colors, and sizes to meet all your needs this fall. As a supporter of the Keyboard Kimura AV Network, use promo code ESK10 at checkout. That's my initials, ESK, and the number 10 for 10% off your order. Based in Montreal, everything is Canadian made, but ships all over the world. So check out the website, onebone.com, or download the app and join the OneBone family today. OneBone, big and all. everybody happy monday welcome back to the keyboard kimura podcast on the keyboard kimura audio video network as i've taken to calling it my name is e spencer kite friendly neighborhood spencer man it is august 29th and i wanted to come here today so over the last few days spent a bunch of time talking about how i would book things if i were sean shelby mcmaynard dana white in charge of sort of the decision making process for how the ufc makes fights and so We've gone through that part. We've gone through the championship fights. Ian and I talked on Saturday about a bunch of sort of underrated fights that are, you know, need a little bit more exposure that we're looking forward to over the next two months. But I wanted to come today and address sort of another piece of the matchmaking puzzle. And it's one that does puzzle me. Um, I've taken to calling them sort of going nowhere fights. And I'll explain them as this. So this weekend we have... Robert Whitaker taking on Marvin Vittori in the co-made event in UFC Paris. It's a great fight. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Let me start there. I think both of these guys are skilled competitors, very deserving of being in the top three in the middleweight division, uh, amongst the best in that division, without a quest, without question. As I said earlier in the week, I think Robert Whitaker is, is the clear silver medalist, or last week, I guess. Robert Whitaker's the clear silver medalist. Marvin Vittori is in that fight with Jared Cannonier, probably for the bronze medal. But this fight to me, while it, it, it looks sharp on paper, right? It looks like a good matchup to put out there. It sort of doesn't do anything for the division. And here's what I mean. Each of these guys has lost to Israel Adesanya twice. The second time coming within the last 18 months for each of them, maybe it a month off if my math my math might be it might be 19 for Marvin Vittori dating back to last last April either way they've both lost championship fights within the last two years and so Whitaker has already beaten Derek Brunson Darren Till Jared Cannonier, Kelvin Gastelum and now he has the opportunity to beat Marvin Vittori which means he's beaten four if not five of the top 15 fighters in the division Marvin Vittori's all fought fewer of those. He's already beaten uh, Jack Hermanson and Paulo Costa. This could be Rob, Rob Whitaker as well. So he has a few more possibilities of guys within that division to face, depending on where this goes. But, but my question with this fight is sort of what's the fight you make for the winner? Like what comes next if you're Rob Whitaker and you beat the number two guy in the division? You still have to fight backwards. 
you're not getting a third fight with Israel Adesanya when he just beat you earlier this year off beating Marvin Vittori, or at least to me, you shouldn't. It, it wouldn't be prudent to make that fight. As good as I think Rob did in the second meeting, I don't necessarily need to see a third fight this quickly. And the same goes for Vittori, right? If he goes out and beats the number one ranked fighter in the division and Robert Whitaker, the number one contender, the silver medalist, what's next for him? Do you do we need to see a third fight with Izzy? Each is played out relatively the same way. Kind of a long, full, go-the-distance fight where there's not a ton of action, but it's pretty clear that Izzy is the better fighter, even though Marvin still probably refuses to admit that. And so what, what comes next for him? You could make any number of fights. Like, as I said, there are, there are certainly options there. But even then, those fights feel like sort of you're playing one side of it. You're hoping for one outcome. And if the other one happens, it doesn't advance you anywhere. Like, this is a fight to me where neither of these guys advance anywhere with a victory. And, and my feeling, I guess my ethos when it comes to matchmaking is in most cases, in every case possible, I want the winner to advance regardless of situation. And now there are going to be times, and we'll touch on a couple of them later on, where that's just impossible because of the circumstances, because of what has come to put these athletes in these positions. So Robert Whitaker doesn't have anywhere he can advance. He's stuck here. But to me, that, mean, that means going the Joseph Benavidez at flyweight route when he was stuck behind Demetrius Johnson, where you go back and you start facing people that are in the lower third of the top 15. You fight the Tim Elliott's and the Dustin Ortiz's as Joe B did back in that period because he knew there's no value to me knocking off or the UFC knew in that time, there's no value to Joe then knocking off the number two, the number three, the number four, because those are the athletes that need to go forward and face DJ in those times, right? DJ was running through everybody. And so it wouldn't have made sense to run John Moraga and Kyoji Horaguchi and even a Chris Carriasso through the Joe Benavidez test because Joe's beaten all of them and you're still ending up with no really viable challenger for DJ. That feels like the situation we're running into at middleweight. And I'll explain it further this way. So you've got a guy like Nasruddin Imavov fighting on Saturday, takes on Joaquin Buckley. So Imavov comes in, he's three and one in the UFC. He's won his last two, both by second round TKO, the first over Ian Heinish, the second over Edmund Shabazian. I believe Shabazian was still ranked at the time. Imavov comes in, he's at number 12. Joaquin Buckley is five and two in the UFC. He's five and one since that short notice debut against Kevin Holland. He's won three straight. Um, but, but what does a win? So let's say Nasruddin Imavov goes out and wins on Saturday, beats Joaquin Buckley. Decision, finish, whatever it is. Pushes him to three straight victories, but it's over an unranked guy. So where does it, where does it move him? What does it do for him? Sure, it keeps him going forward, and it's another win, but it still means he's got a face someone further up the rankings. He's got to face Kelvin Gastelum, who is he was booked to fight earlier this year and it didn't come together. He's got to face Darren Till when Darren Till gets healthy. He's got to face 
Jack Hermanson, who's coming off a win over Chris Curtis. And then even beating that person, whoever that may be, who whatever hypothetical fight that works out to be, doesn't put him into title contention. That puts him maybe in the top 10, probably in the like seven through nine range, depending on how everybody reacts to what that fight looks like, right? That's part of it as well. So that means he still got has to then fight a Sean Strickland or, or let's say the winner of the Sean Strickland-Jared Cannonier fight or Apollo Costa or Vittori or Robert Whitaker for that matter, which means he's looking at winning five or six fights before he gets into a championship opportunity, if not more, which A, is really hard to do just in general. For anybody, winning winning five or six fights in the UFC as you're working your way up the divisional ladder, any division is difficult, even middleweight. The one Sean and I bag on all the time, it's even difficult at middleweight. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be in this position right now. But it's still like, do you for, do you foresee Nasruddin Imavov beating Robert Whitaker? Do you see him beating Marvin Vittori? Maybe it happens and it would be absolutely great for the division if that happens, but that's a big, those are big asks. And the same holds true really if Joaquin Buckley wins, right? If he goes out on Saturday and beats him above, pushes his winning streak to four, it's a great win. It's his first win over a ranked opponent and it moves him forward, but he's still got to go through the same gauntlet. He's got to go through that Gaslam till Hermanson test and then advance to the next tier where it's Strickland, Costa, Pereira, somebody like that, and then still probably another step where it's Cannoneer, where it's Vittori, where it's Whitaker. And so you're looking at six or seven wins before he's in a championship fight. And to me, that's where we're losing things is we're making this road so much, so long, so much longer than it needs to be. And that's not that I want to hustle athletes that are unprepared or unproven into championship fights, but I don't want to see them have to go through this grind of of competitors, especially when you have fights like this, like Whitaker versus Vittori, which to me, as I said, feels like a fight where, where nobody advances. Nothing changes in the division depending on the outcome of this fight. Whereas if you had split these two men apart and paired each of them, even if you just separated those two middleweight fights on Saturday and had, you know, Whitaker facing Imavov and Vittori facing Buckley. Now, neither of those guys are probably taking that fight. But again, I'm in charge here and we're just hypothetical land. At least if Imavov beats Whitaker, you get a big moment. If Buckley beats Vittori, you get a big something. There's something that that moves forward and propels the division forward and advances a fighter. Whereas right now, we're going to knock off somebody that's moving forward in terms of Imavov and Buckley. And we're going to have two individuals that are basically stonewalled from challenging for the title, as long as Israel Adesanya has the belt, because he's beaten them both twice and they now reside in the Franklin zone. And, And we don't go anywhere. And unfortunately, this seems to be a thing that happens pretty regularly. Now, it often happens, the most regular occurrence of this is with either former champions or people that just lost in championship fights. 
But most of those times, the former champion or or vanquished challenger is paired off with somebody where, where a win is still going to propel them forward, right? Jan Blahowitz was paired off with Alexander Rakic. So if Alexander Rakic wins, he beats a former champ, he goes forward. That's not how it played out, but that's the that's the upside of that fight. The downside of it, however, is a fight like, I don't know, Brian Ortega and, and Yair Rodriguez, where Brian Ortega is fresh off a loss to Alexander Volkanovsky, where yes, there were positive moments. There were close moments in that third round. But for the most part, we saw what we saw and Alexander Volkanovsky dominates that fight. If he goes out and beats Yair Rodriguez, not only does it take Rodriguez out of the mix, but it doesn't advance Brian Ortega anywhere. It just puts him in a position where he's kind of the clear bronze medalist in the division because we saw what happened when he fought Max Holloway and Max Holloway can't beat Volkanovsky. Now, you could say, well, the upside is Yair Rodriguez wins the fight and he moves forward. To me, I said it at the time, I stand by it now. One win for Yair Rodriguez after the loss to Max Holloway over Brian Ortega, who can't get past or has, has shown thus far that he could not get past the number one and number two guy in the division. Didn't necessarily feel like the win Rodriguez needed to be elevated into a championship fight. That's my opinion. Again, that's that's me making those decisions. It's probably going to come to pass that way. That's probably a fight we're going to see. I'll still enjoy the hell out of it, but it's just not the, the booking decision I would make. To a lesser extent, it's a fight like we had earlier this year between Marina Rodriguez and Yan Nan, where neither of them are coming out of a championship fight, but you've got Marina Rodriguez at that point going forward off three straight victories, including two main events, where Yan Nan is coming off an ugly TKO loss to Carla Esparza. Now, that's not to, to disparage Carla Esparza, who, of course, has subsequently gone on to win the title. But Carla Esparza wasn't finishing anybody and then went out and dominated Yan Nan. And Marina Rodriguez, who has headlined back-to-back events and won three straight, gets to fight someone who has already lost to Carla Esparza, to, who's coming off a grisly loss to a contender. So Rodriguez goes out and it's a close fight. It's an awkward fight. It's a tough fight. She gets a victory, a split decision win. So she's out four straight wins, but it doesn't move her anywhere. It doesn't do anything for her. She's fighting backwards in the division, and it still doesn't get her ahead of, as we see now, that pack of former champions that just seems to get to exist above everybody else and just seems to need one win amongst that circle in order to go forward and fight for the title again. Because Zhang Weili comes off two losses to Rose Namajunas, goes out and beats Joanna Yanjechik, who hadn't fought since their first fight, so had been off for a couple of years, hadn't earned any victories. She gets the knockout win, and now she's fighting for the title again, while Marina Rodriguez gets Amanda Lemos in another tough fight that won't necessarily move her forward because she's already the number one contender in my eyes. Like, maybe not by the ranking sense, but in terms of who has and hasn't fought for the title already, she's number one on the list of hasn't fought for the title already, and yet she's going through this gauntlet She's going through this meat grinder of dangerous, tough fights that we're not asking champions or former champions to go through, or in some cases, 
you know, close contenders and, and famous names. And it doesn't do anything for the division. It doesn't move anybody anywhere. A great example of this is Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. Like both of them are coming off championship losses. Both of them had lost to Kamaru Usman twice. The win didn't really help Colby Covington. It didn't change how we think about Colby Covington. We've always known that he is the silver medalist in that division, or maybe the bronze medalist, but a hell of a welterweight. A guy that's going to beat you with pressure and pace and wrestling and all of those things, as he did to Masvidal. The loss diminishes Jorge Masvidal more to where he comes out after Leon Edwards kicks Kamaru Usman in the head to signify a changing of the guard at the top of that division and says, great, it's my turn now. And I don't think there's anyone that was like, yeah, it's Masvidal's turn now because he hasn't won a fight in forever. It feels like forever. It's not quite forever, but he hasn't won a fight since beating Nathan Diaz for the BMF title. He's lost three straight. Does does that get you a championship opportunity because you have beef three years ago? Not for me. Not in my eyes. The UFC could do what they want, can can make whatever they want. But I, I think even Masvidal and his people need to be realistic here because Usman's getting a rematch. Hamza Chimaev, if he beats Nathan Diaz, is next in line. So you got a lot of work to do rather than just tweeting out three-piece in a soda, here we come. And so that fight just, what did it give us? Where did it move us? What did it advance us? Versus if you get Covington in there with Chemaev at that point, or you get him in there with Bilal Muhammad, and you get Masvidal in there with someone else that's working their way forward, a Sean Brady, a Shavkat Rachmanov. And again, I understand that these established names and these established challengers aren't necessarily rushing out there super excited to face the up-and-coming looks like a killer fighter, like Chimaev, like Sean Brady. Zhang Wei Li's not in a in a rush to face Marina Rodriguez. But at some point, we have to break this cycle. At some point, we have to change this up or else we just get stuck everywhere, right? Like you look at somebody like Curtis Blades, who to me is the quintessential example of this problem right now. He's one of the three to five best active heavyweights in the UFC, depending on, you know, whether you factor John Jones and, and Stipe Miocic into that. Neither of them have been active lately, so take it as, as you will. But he's kind of just stuck because he's lost to Francis Ngannou twice. He is in that Franklin zone, that territory where you've got to wait for, for a changing of the guard at the top of your division or else you're just constantly facing fights that don't really move you anywhere, right? If he had gone out and beaten Tom Aspinall cleanly, like if, if they had an actual fight as opposed to the injury that happened, Tom get well soon. It doesn't do anything for Curtis Blades, right? Beating Chris Dawkins in Columbus earlier this year didn't really do anything for Curtis Blades. Yes, we got to see him go out there. He got a win. He got more money. All of those things, sure. But in terms of the division and in terms of his place in the pecking order, doesn't change anything for him. It just further entrenches him as the guy at the top of the division that you're going to run some of these up-and-comers through that it doesn't produce anything for you if Curtis Blades wins because none of us need to see him face Francis Ngannou again. Not, not now, not when we've had 
two fights where the second one ends in 48 seconds or whatever it was in Singapore a bunch of years ago. Now, you can make the argument that it's been a lot of time. Curtis Blades has clearly improved. But, you know, 0-2 against the champion just doesn't feel all that exciting when it's not Max, Max Holloway two close losses to Alexander Volkanovsky. And so here we are with Curtis Blades kind of just stuck. Now, to his credit, he has said and done all of the correct things. I'm just here to fight whoever they want to give me. I'm a prize fighter. This is about putting a roof over my family's head, providing for my daughter. Give me whoever. It doesn't matter. I'm not worried about a title shot. We'll just keep pressing forward. And whatever it is, is whatever it is. That is the absolute correct approach to take for Curtis Blades and sort of anyone in this position. But to me, if you're the UFC, you want to avoid putting people in this position as best as possible. Because what ends up happening is what we have right now, this weekend coming up in Paris at middleweight, where Rob Whitaker and Marvin Vittori are going to fight. It's going to be a good fight. Should be a competitive fight, an entertaining fight, all of those things. But what does it do? Where does it get us? What does it move us forward towards? The winner of that is facing who? Probably the winner of Jared Cannonier and Sean Strickland. Except Rob's already fought Jared Cannonier. So if that happens, now we've got two guys, potentially, that are in that weird space. So if Cannonier wins, is he going to face Marvin Vittori and we just perpetuate this even more? At some point, there has to be a way to incentivize these athletes to fight backwards to make it to where it's not just about protecting your space in line. And I don't think that's what Robert Whitaker or Marvin Vittori is looking to do here. I don't think either of them are wired that way, but that's what the UFC continues to book. That's what the UFC continues to put forward for these athletes at the top of these divisions, right? There's only a handful of names right now that Gilbert Burns is interested in, interested in facing one of them being Masvidal. What does a win over Jorge Masvidal do for Gilbert Burns at this point? What does it do for the division? We know he's a top five fighter. Beating Masvidal doesn't change any of that. Why not get him in there with a Shavkat Rachmanov? So we at least find out a little something else about Rachmanov. If he wins, he moves forward. We get a new contender. If he doesn't, we understand that he's not quite there yet. And Burns still even if you, same as he would if he beat Masvidal, maintains his place. To me, it's about as often as you can getting an outcome that forwards a division, that moves things, that advances things, that gives you a new question and a new problem and a new interesting angle to pursue rather than running these fighters that are on the ascent through the meat grinder. Leon Edwards had to go through a meat grinder constantly facing the next the next man up. Kamaru Usman did it before he got to the title, before he faced Tyron Woodley. What's the purpose here? We've seen it at featherweight, right? Calvin Cater winning fights. Great. Next up is Max Holloway. Arnold Allen, nine straight wins. He comes out, he beats Dan Hooker, and he says, great, give me Calvin Cater, because that's what has been shown to him as the thing you have to do is beat the guy that's right in front of you and then beat another person, if not two more, before you get that championship opportunity. And it leads to these situations 
where we have very shallow lists of contenders and very few championship fights in a number of these divisions that people are going to be truly interested in watching, in buying, in paying for, in feeling that they're compelling, really competitive fights because we're going to get to a point and we're, we're already starting to get to a point where the person challenging for the belt either hasn't gotten through those, those top contenders or hasn't been forced to, hasn't been asked to. And so there's, there's got to be a balance here, right? You look at middleweight, another name to throw out there in, in using the sort of Vittori-Robert Whitaker fight for Saturday is Andre Muniz, who needs a win over one of those guys. That's the only thing he's really missing is something like this. And I said last week that if you're booking a championship fight after Adesonia and, and Pajaya fight in Madison Square Garden, provided as he wins, then it's, then it's Andre Muniz. Because he's just the next guy moving forward. He's just the next name in place. But there's not a lot of people outside of the hardcore set, outside of the BJJ addicts, that are going to be super pumped to see that fight because Muniz hasn't fought Whitaker, Vittori, Costa, Cannoneer, someone in that group. Hasn't fought them, hasn't beaten them. And so wouldn't it be better to have him in, in this spot against either of these guys on Saturday? Worst case, you get a new contender. Or worst case, I should say, you get what you're getting Saturday regardless. And that's the entrenched guy that hasn't beaten Izzy, sort of solidifies his spot and says shows that the next man up isn't quite ready. But best case, Andre Muniz goes out and, and defeats one of these guys and, and shows through his efforts, even if they're even if it looks like the Uriah Hall fight, he's good enough to do that to the number one and number two contender in the division, which sets him up as a interesting curiosity of a challenger for Israel out of Sonia. Who needs fighters like that? Who needs opponents like that? It's at least a different wrinkle that we haven't seen Izzy have to deal with. And yet we get Whitaker versus Vittori that moves no one forward, that changes nothing in the division and just creates, in my opinion, even further logjam because it it just entrenches them more. Like, I think Robert Whitaker is going to win on Saturday. I haven't gone through all of my tape study, all of my looking through things and, and measuring things out. But just on a Monday morning, the little bit that I've thought about it, knowing who they are, having seen them both fight a lot, I think Robert Whitaker wins. Great. He's still the number one contender. Marvin Vittori is still better than just about everybody behind him in the rankings. And I'm sure we'll have to find out because he's probably the guy that's going to face Jared Cannonier if Cannonier beats Sean Strickland. He's already beaten Paulo Costa, who's who's in that mix. He's already beaten Jack Hermanson, who's in that mix. So like, here we are where we're going to have, you know, three, four, five people in the middleweight division that have already been beaten by Israel Adesanya or shown that they can't get there, all entrenched in positions ahead of some of these emerging fighters, ahead of this emerging set that needs to fight some of them but aren't getting those opportunities until it's too far gone. And when they do get there, sure, they can't beat them, and, and that's problematic as well. It, it shows how good Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori and the people in those positions are, Curtis Blades as well. 
But the UFC, to me, from a long-range thinking perspective, from a wider-angle view of this, has to find ways to avoid these situations and create better situations where you don't have to go through the meat grinder at middleweight or through the extended run that Marina Rodriguez is having to go through at strawweight. You have to create avenues and find paths for these emerging fighters and these ascending talents to where it's not eight, nine fights before they challenge for championship gold because that's asking so much of these athletes. That's asking asking Arnold Allen to push his winning streak to 10 in order to maybe get a shot at the featherweight title. is crazy, right? We all still hold that like, man, it's so terrible. It's so frustrating that Tony Ferguson won 12 straight fights and never fought for the undisputed title. And yes, injuries and visa issues and all kinds of stuff, you know, global pandemics got in the way of all of that. But even at nine fights, 10 fights, 11 fights, that it didn't happen was, was wild. It was, it was crazy. And yeah, there were fights in there where you can make the case and you can go back. And I think I've done it before where you say, okay, at what point in here was Tony Ferguson going to fight for the title? You could have shoehorned him in, but all the fights that happened made sense. But right now it feels like we're past those times. It feels like we're past the days of those fights make sense. It doesn't make sense to me that Yair Rodriguez is probably going to get a title shot off a TKO injury win while Arnold Allen has a nine-fight winning streak in the division and is going to be asked to do more. It doesn't make sense to me that Zhang Wei Li is going to fight for the title again in New York City in a couple of months off one win when Marina Rodriguez has won four straight, including two main events, and fought the champion to a razor-close split decision just a couple of years ago. Hasn't lost since. At some point, you have to find a way to give these ascending fighters opportunities to go through and that means talking to these fighters that have lost championship fights that are entrenched at the top of the division but sort of stuck and find ways to get them to accept you're gonna have to fight backwards a little you can't just keep facing the one or two people in front of you because it doesn't get us anywhere as a promotion it doesn't move us forward and as much as you aren't necessarily worried about what what does it do for the promotion? It also sort of limits your options, right? If there aren't new names coming forward and, and there's only a handful of people in front of you, it, it limits what you're capable of doing, which limits how often you're fighting each year, which limits your income. And so there's gotta be, there's gotta be ways. There's gotta be a better version of this than just booking number one and number two, because they're number one and number two, when they don't have, when it's not producing a championship opponent, when it's not elevating someone, when it's not giving us a new idea, a new understanding about the winner of that fight. It's going to be a great fight. I cannot wait to see this fight. I think it's a super compelling, super interesting fight. But it doesn't do anything for the division. And if I'm matchmaking, if I'm sitting in that chair, if I'm calling those shots, 
I want to make fights that are doing things for the divisions, that are advancing people forward. Best case scenario, we're moving two people forward. We're getting two people that are on the ascent and they're facing so that the winner goes forward. And it it elevates somebody into a new position. Worst case, we're doing the Jan Blahowitz, Alexander Rakic type fights where sure, one outcome doesn't necessarily move anyone forward, but the other one does. And that coin flip is worth it. It's a close enough fight that taking that chance is worth it to me. That person is close enough to title contention that this is where it makes sense. It doesn't make sense here on Saturday. I don't, I don't know the reasoning behind this booking in terms of the division. I get it in terms of big names on, on the marquee in the co-main event spot for your debut in Paris. That part I get. I just wish there was more attention paid to the long term, to 12 months out, even nine months out, but also further on than that, than the here and now, and just making the next the two people next to each other fight. And you have to get through everybody in front of you before you get to a championship opportunity. Because I just think it's going to create a lot of log jams and a lot of divisions. And it's already happening at middleweight in a division that is always short on talent and short on contenders. And to me, the thing to do is find ways to bring people forward, not put more roadblocks in front of them. That's it for today. We will be back on Wednesday with one question for every fight, followed by Thursday with 10 things. We'll see if we do video for the punch drunk predictions or the betting piece. I want to make a bet. Gotta bounce back after a terrible week last week or two weeks ago, I guess. But that's it. Thank you for listening. All the video stuff. If you're listening to the audio and you want a video version, all the videos are up on the YouTube channel. So check that out. Just search Spencer Kite or Keyboard Kimura. You will find it. If you're watching the video and just want audio, all of it's on the Substack, spencerkite.substack.com. Go and subscribe. All of it as well. All of the video, sorry, all of the audio content is available on your favorite podcast platform as well. So Apple, Spotify, search Keyboard Kimura. We are there. Subscribe, like, review. All of those things mean a great deal. Shouts to Dave Fretz for the new artwork. You will see it on the different pages, on the different platforms. Looks clean. It looks fresh. It works with the colorway that we've been working, that Harry has created for the site. Welcome back, Harry. He will be back producing later this week. I'm happy to have my guy back. Looking forward to doing the preview show with him this week. And Ian and Sean, if Sean's popping in. Appreciate you guys for always spending time with me for listening to this stuff. Let me know what you think. Let me know your your thoughts and your opinions on this subject, on what else we can do on this platform. Going to be taking a couple weeks off after this week, taking my first vacation in 12 years, my first actual close the laptop, not doing any work vacation. But that means I'm going to bring you as much as I can this week, as much stuff as you want to see, as much as, much as you want from me this week. I'm going to try to deliver it. So I'm going to go for now. We'll be back all the rest of the week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for paying attention. Appreciate you. Love you. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. We'll talk soon.
Yeah.